Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. I had a really lighthearted lineup planned for today. And in light of recent events, I can't do lighthearted right now. As I'm recording this, CNN has just announced that the death toll from COVID-19 has topped 100,000. Those are not just numbers. Those are fathers, mothers, sons, daughters, aunties and uncles, friends, colleagues, people that were cared for, people that were loved, people that did not have to die and are yet gone nonetheless. We are fresh off of Memorial Day weekend, which was a shit show. While the occupant of the White House spent his Memorial Day weekend golfing, despite the American death count hovering at 97 or 98,000, he went golfing twice. He went on a Twitter torrent as well. He made sure to insult the weight of Stacey Abrams, which I absolutely saw coming. I thought someone else would do it. I didn't think he was, especially given his heft. Trump insulting Stacey Abrams' weight is very pot-calling kettle black. Like, have you seen you, sir? He retweeted some commentary about how Abrams had been to every buffet in Georgia And I was like, if she been to every buffet, you've been right along with her. Sir, you are a portly man. You will not make fun of the weight of others. Also, this Memorial Day weekend, many non-Wakandans spent the weekend packed into raceways, packed into pools, packed into boardwalks. Most of them may have no kind of mask on. Y'all are really out here thinking that your lack of melanin protects you from catching a virus. That's not how science works. Just FYI. 
black and brown people have been disproportionately affected by COVID-19, but plenty of white folks done died too, just so you know. White folks ain't immune to this shit. So we will see in a couple weeks how many folks end up in ICU and unfortunately how many folks will die. You're out here trying to enjoy the early start of summer. You might not make it to the end. Keeping my ass indoors for now. In other news, L.A. is opening up. So I'm going to let some other folks go out and test the waters first. And then I'll go home after I see how that process goes. So I think L.A. opens up Friday and I'm going to go home in the middle of June. I've been gone since March 8th. Been living out of a suitcase for that long. I missed my bed. My parents have a very lovely bed for me in the guest room, but I miss my king size bed and I miss my mountains and I miss my sunrise and I miss my pink couch. I'm very excited to have a date when I can head home. This week, I brought in two friends to talk with me about hot topics. One of them is a professor of gender studies, and I wanted him to explain men to me. I'm so confused about reactions to some of the stories that have been in the news. One of them is Russell Wilson wishing his stepson a happy sixth birthday. He had a very nice note to his son, and he closed it with, Daddy loves you, which is so sweet. But many folks found that problematic, so I wanted to discuss why. Also wanted to talk about black men's obsession with future. Whenever I talk about Russell Wilson, inevitably someone comes along and says, fuck him. And then I click on their page and they'll have like hashtag future hive in their page. Grown men, hashtag future hive. And I'm like, I don't get it. Future may be a very lovely man in real life, but his persona is complete fuckboy. But grown men love that dude. I'm like, why? So I called in a friend who is a masculinities, plural, to talk about Russell Wilson and future. We also got into Dwayne Wade, too. We'll get to that when we get to the segment. My other friend is a mommy expert. She's one of my favorite humans on the planet. And I asked her to come speak with me about how working women, working mothers, are faring during the pandemic. That Washington Post story went very viral. Some of the stories were crazy, one in particular. But it seemed in the stories that the article shared, Black women were missing. So I asked a Black mommy expert if she could weigh in on what's going on with Black moms during this pandemic. Before we get to those interviews, I wanted to talk about this incident in Central Park, the video that's been circulating all over the Internet. It has been viewed, just from the initial share, nearly half a million times on Facebook, two million on Twitter. I shared it on my own Instagram page and it got 250,000 views. So this video is everywhere. Everyone and their mother has seen it. So I wanted to talk about Amy Cooper. That was the woman seen in the video who went full white woman tears for no damn reason. And I also want to talk about the murder of George Floyd in Minnesota and Christian Cooper, the black man bird watcher who Amy Cooper weaponized her white tears for. Thank God he had a charged phone 
And he had the good sense to get the fuck out the park before the police showed up. Because what happened to George Floyd in Minnesota is what Amy Cooper called the police to do to that black man in Central Park who simply asked her if she could put her dog on the leash as per the park rules. I mean, that's what happened on the surface. The real reason she called the police is because she couldn't believe a black man had the audacity to tell her to do anything. He dared to address her, a white woman, like he, a black man, was her equal. That was his transgression in her mind. She's done interviews. She did one on NBC and she apologized, but she also said that the reason she made the call is she's like, I I was scared. Of what? A man asking you to put your dog on a leash? And again, you're scared, but you're on video approaching him. He pulled out his phone and you come over to him. He asked you to stay away. And you're scared, but you walk a few yards away and you stand there and call the police. You didn't run. You didn't walk off. You didn't sick your dog on him, but you were scared. You aren't scared. You were entitled. You were enraged that a black man spoke to you like an equal. Because in your mind, he's not. If you have not seen the video, which maybe you haven't, Black man who's trying to watch some birds in the park approaches white woman and he says, hey, can you put your dog on a leash? She goes crazy. She goes absolutely nuts. I tracked down Chris Cooper's Facebook page. He posted a a dialogue, really, of their exchange. At 8 a.m., he was in Central Park and he saw this woman's dog tearing through the plantings in the Ramble. And I'm reading from his Facebook page. Me, ma'am, dogs in the ramble have to be on a leash at all times. The sign is right there. Her, the dog runs are closed. He needs his exercise. Me, all you have to do is take him to the other side of the drive outside the ramble and you can let him run off the leash all you want. Her, it's too dangerous. Me, look, if you're going to do what you want, I'm going to do what I want, but you're not going to like it. Her, what's that? Me, to the dog. Come here, puppy. Her, he won't come to you. Me, we'll see about that. I pull out the dog treats I carry for such an occasion. I didn't even get a chance to toss any treats to the pooch before Karen scrambled to grab the dog. Her, don't touch my dog. That's when I started recording with my iPhone and when her inner Karen fully emerged and took a dark turn. That's Christian Cooper recounting what happened before the video started rolling. So if you've seen the video, she approaches him. He says, stay away. She says, I'm going to call the police and I'm going to tell them that an African-American man is threatening me. She's fully aware of how loaded that statement is. So he's like, go ahead, call the police. She walks like a few yards away. She calls the police and she repeats multiple times that an African-American man is threatening her and her dog. And although... Christian is recording and you can see that he's not approaching her. He's not coming toward her. He's a very safe distance away from her. She becomes more and more hysterical as if he's doing something to her. Meanwhile, he's standing there with his phone out capturing all this shit. She knows she's being recorded and she did this shit. Seriously? As she's on the phone with the police... She's got her dog by the collar. She's choking the living shit out of this dog. Now, the first time I saw the video, 
my focus was on, oh my God, what's about to happen to this black man? Because like this white woman is calling the police in distress. She's saying an African-American man is threatening me. There is a long history of terror inflicted toward black men by white women in this country. The most prominent example that comes to mind is Emmett Till. But there's many versions of Emmett Till. A surprising number of black men have been lynched because a white woman accused a black man of doing something sinister, something that made her uncomfortable, something she didn't like. One of the most profound excuses of violence by white men against black men has always been to uphold the purity, quote unquote, of white women. Christian knows this. This Miss Anne, Amy Cooper chick knows this. And she weaponized her tears. So she goes full hysteric and is choking the shit out of her dog. The first time I watched the video, I thought the dog realized her distress and was trying to like, I don't know, grab at her, stop her, get in the middle of her and, and the guy. I, I didn't understand what the dog was doing because my focus was on the human whose life was being put in jeopardy by this phone call. I had to watch it a second time to be like, oh shit, she's choking the shit out that dog. You know, a lot of people who watched that video were more concerned about the dog than the man. A lot of people, black people too, watched that video and was like, oh my God, she's choking that dog. Look, I like dogs. I may or may not have talked about how I want a dog named Barker Lucas, a brown chow. When I get a house with a yard and I start bopping all over the world, I'm going to get a nice brown chow named Barker Lucas. Barker Chow Lucas. Chow is a hyphenate of his first name. Barker Chow will be his name. Full name. Don't call my dog Barker. Barker Chow. I love dogs. I think dogs are wonderful. Human lives are by far more important than dogs. And I find it really strange that so many people were like, oh, yeah, the man and the dog. No, the man, the man's life, the man's life matters by far considerably more than the dog. But so many people were like, oh, my God, the dog. I swear that's why this video went so viral. People were upset about the damn dog. So very swiftly, the woman in the video was identified by her dog walker, no less. Once people had her name, they found her employer. They bombarded the employer site. The employer quickly put her on administrative leave. The folks who she adopted the dog from came and got the dog. They were like, no, ma'am, you will not treat a dog like this. So her dog is gone. The day after she was on administrative leave, they were like, yeah, so this ain't going to work out for us. She was fired. Her company issued a statement. They were like, we don't tolerate racism of any kind. Good day. Now, because she wanted to act the ass in the park on video. She ain't got no dog. She ain't got no job. She's being vilified in the media, international media, too. This woman has become the face of white women's racism. Oh, well, I have no sympathy. She also got banned from Central Park, which I was like, how do you get banned from outside when outside is closed? I've never heard of anyone being banned from Central Park, which I mean, that's one less crazy white woman, but it's a city full of them. I saw some article that was like, yeah, Amy Cooper was a liberal. That's surprising to white folks. Black folks, liberal, conservative, people who call you nigga to your face versus people who gaslight you with casual racism. Same shit to us. She's not been charged with any crime 
And I don't know if what she did is technically illegal. I know filing a false police report is illegal. If it's not illegal, it needs to be. Because, like, this chick needs to be arrested for something. If nothing else, you lied on a 911 call and you wasted the police's time coming out. She don't have to pay for that? Didn't Jesse Williams, when he lied to the police, when they had to spend like $10,000 investigating his crazy shenanigans, didn't he have to pay some restitution to Chicago? I think he filed a police report, though. I don't know. Something legal needs to happen to this woman. And I wish Christian Cooper would get a civil suit together for like intentional infliction of emotional distress. She did this interview with NBC where quite predictably she apologized sincerely and humbly, quote and unquote. She said, I am not a racist. I swear there's a textbook for this shit. Racist white folks go and do some crazy shenanigans and then they got like a rule book for how to handle it. I'm sorry. I am not a racist. I have a black friend. You know, the best way to, to prove to people that you're not a racist, don't do racist shit. That's it. Do racist shit. I'm gonna be like, oh, okay, you're you're a racist. Oh, yeah, that's how that works. You are what you do. Do some racist shit. Racist. She also apologized. And this was weird. She wanted to apologize specifically to quote and unquote that man. She didn't call Cooper by his name. I apologize, especially to quote and unquote that man. She added, I've come to realize today that I think of police as a protection agency. And unfortunately, this has caused me to realize that there are so many people in this country that don't have that luxury. You lying. You absolutely realize that Christian Cooper didn't have that luxury. Hence why you called the police and you specifically told them that an African-American man was threatening you. Not a man. Not a bird watcher. Specifically, an African-American man, because you know how loaded that term is, especially as a white woman, when you're speaking to the police. You weaponized your privilege. You knew exactly what you were doing, lady, and you did it on camera. Hysterics and all. Somebody would listen to that call and genuinely think that you were in jeopardy. Meanwhile, you'd worked yourself up trying to get the police to come and harm this man, kill this man even. Eliza Orleans, she is a public defender. She wrote an essay for the Washington Post and she was explaining what happens when white women make these calls about black men. Here's another scenario where it also goes left. She explains, a white person calls the police on a black man. The police arrive and take the side of his white accuser, refusing to believe his version of events. He is arrested and arraigned. An outrageous bail amount is set. His family can't afford to buy his freedom. He gets sent to Rikers Island, where he sits for days, months, or sometimes years. Eventually, his case is resolved in some way, either because the charges are dismissed or because he decides to plead guilty to a lesser charge. In the meantime, he may lose his job, his home, his children, or some combination of the three. She says... In cases I've taken to trial, the district attorney has offered recordings of, quote, hysterical 911 calls as evidence of my client's guilt, urging the jury to, quote, just listen to the fear in her voice, saying, you can tell she can sense a threat, and asking questions such as, why would she lie? All too often, it works. Usually, there's no video. On Monday, there was. 
you can hear, quote and unquote, the fear in the voice of the woman who called the police on Cooper, too. I wonder how many men are sitting in jail right now because some white woman didn't like the way they spoke to her. She made a hysterical phone call, and now they're in the scenario that this public defender has described. That's unsurprising, to be honest. Cooper, the bird watcher, he said he would accept Amy's apology if it was genuine and if she plans to keep her dog on a leash going forward. Then they would have no issues with each other. He told NPR, he says, I'm told there have been death threats and that's wholly inappropriate. That should stop immediately. I find it strange that people who were upset that that she tried to bring death by cop down on my head would then turn around and try to put death threats on her head. Where is the logic in that? Where does that make any kind of sense? He's been criticized pretty heavily for his defenses, multiple of her, and for accepting her apology, even though it's conditional. Hmm. I think as outraged as everyone, many people, I shouldn't say everyone, there's always a select few. I feel as outraged as most people who watch that video are. It didn't happen to us. If you watch the video and you're outraged, I get it. But as the person who this whole thing actually happened to, he gets to feel about it however he wants. I personally think he's professionally trolling by doing this magical Negro benevolent black man sort of thing. It makes him look all the more less threatening. It makes him look like an ideal victim. He's a Harvard grad. He's a part of the Autobahn Society. He was a co-chair of GLAAD. Miss Ann found the right person to pull this ish on because he has lit her ass up. I think that if he comes out as angry black man in this whole thing, people lose sympathy for him, which is fucked up. Because I think if someone tries to get you killed, if no one else you've ever had a right to be mad at, it's that person. But I feel like he's playing the game. He continues to get his interviews. He continues to look like a shining star. I'd be shocked if he didn't have an essay in the Times by Monday. If he don't flip this into a book deal of some sort, conversations about race, that would shock me as well. I'm like, dude, a tragic thing happened to you. I don't know if a civil suit's going to work, but maybe you can work this tragedy in your favor. But that's just kind of how I think. I think he does too. But maybe he's genuinely like, you know what, like this happened and I don't want to hold the hate in my heart. And so I forgive you. However he feels to feel is how he feels. You can't tell other people what they should be mad about and what they are not. But as for me and mine, fuck her. She lost her job. Oh, well, had a nice little job, too. She had a hundred seventy five thousand dollar job. If you're looking for work, you know, they're hiring and they don't tolerate racism there. She can't go to Central Park. Oh, well, some shit you should have thought about before you tried to put a black man's life in jeopardy. You can't just be out here acting like this. There are consequences for your behavior. Now, maybe you've gotten along with it up until this point in your life. But today, your luck ran out. Tragedy for her. Great for the dog because she choked the fuck out that dog. I'm just saying. I do wish, though. That if this man is genuinely mad, I wish that there was space for him and other black folk to go off. 
this idea that like black folks got to be stoic and got to be benevolent and got to be forgiving and wait on God for justice. It's very Christian. But is it how you really feel? Even in your grief, you can't express your anger. That is so limiting. That is so fucked up that black folks are expected to perform forgiveness. Center white folks and their feelings, even in their grief. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall, like it... I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home and I can tell you, I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. In worse news, and I say worse only because as terrible as Christian Cooper's story was, he lived to tell it. That is a blessing in and of itself. In the case of Greg Floyd in Minnesota, 46 years old, father of two, he did not live to tell his story. His death was captured on video. I've seen screenshots that show an officer kneeling on his neck. I read that the officer choked him for either seven minutes or nine minutes while he pleaded for his life, while he called for his deceased mother. Three other officers watched and did nothing. And he died, was killed, was murdered, really, by that officer and the officers who were there to protect and serve, but did not do that for him. I have not watched the video. I made a decision a while ago not to watch videos of Black people, men or women, being murdered. I said on previous podcasts, do not send me videos. Yet people have continuously sent me videos of Greg Floyd. I recognize that you are doing so in the spirit of sharing that you want me to be aware of the news. You want me to address a news story. Send me the story. Don't send me the videos. I don't want to see that shit. There was some question about to what happened to Greg Floyd before the video was rolling. It's what always happens when these videos are shared. People see something tragic happen to a black man and they wonder, well, what did he do? He must have done something to provoke it because the officers wouldn't just kill him for no reason. But they did. 
a nearby shopkeeper released footage of what preceded the popular video and Greg Floyd didn't resist arrest. Apparently he was sitting in his car and police snatched him out. He went with little fuss. They handcuffed him. When the officer was kneeling on his neck for that seven or nine minutes, he was handcuffed the whole time. He couldn't resist if he wanted to. He was already restrained. Still, the cop murdered him. TMZ has a story about what led to the police even coming, what led to his arrest. Apparently, Greg Floyd was purchasing something. The article didn't say what. And he tried to pay with a $10 bill that the cashier believed was counterfeit. So the cashier called the police as per company policy. I don't understand how there's a a debate over whether a bill is counterfeit or not. Most shops have a pen. You just swipe the pen across the bill. And if the ink shows up, then it's fake. If it doesn't show up, then it's real. This is standard procedure. I don't know why this could not have been applied in this instance. $10. That's what set off the chain of events that led to Greg Floyd's murder. The police officers have been fired. They have not been arrested. There are protests in Minnesota right now calling for an arrest. I do think it will happen. An arrest is just the first step, as we talked about in the Ahmad Arbery situation. An arrest is a start. But I always like to remind people that George Zimmerman was arrested and Rodney King, those cops were arrested and they went to trial and then they were acquitted. Now there's an uprising in Minnesota. They are, they are fucking shit up. I saw a video with this kid took his skateboard and bashed out the, the window of a police car. One, I didn't know there was that many black people in Minnesota. My bad. Who knew? Other than the people who live in Minnesota. But it's a lot of them and they fucking shit up. There's a lot of white people out there too. I don't understand why the, the protesters in Minnesota can't be treated like the protesters in Michigan. Remember the protesters in Michigan who wanted to go get haircuts and they wanted everything to open up in the middle of a global pandemic where the infection rate was rising in their state? They were mad. So they ran up on the state house with their guns, their big ass guns, and refused to leave. They didn't get tear gassed. The Michigan folks was protesting over some dumb shit and they putting other people's lives in danger. Their asses need to be tear gassed. These folks, they're mad because a man was murdered by the police. That man ain't have to die. His two kids deserve to have a father. His woman, she deserved to have her man. Speaking of his, of his woman, she, <laughs> George Floyd had a fiance, Courtney Ross. She has called for protesters to forgive the cop who killed her fiance. She says, quote, you know, if he was here, he would say that he's a man of God. He would stand on that firmly. She acknowledges that the community is hurting, but she says, quote, you can't fight fire with fire. Everything just burns. And I've seen it all day. People hate. They're hating. They're hating. They're mad. And he would not want that. He wouldn't. He would give grace. I stand on that today. He would still give grace to those people. Never in a million years did I think I would agree with anything Tyreek Nasheed said. However, he tweeted, 
The white media is already trying to push a bullshit forgiveness narrative with the lynching of George Floyd. We ain't forgiven a damn thing. Hashtag F-O-H. I.E. fuck out of here. I agree. Lord, I never thought the day would come. Wow. Um, his fiance is a white lady. Um, if his fiance wants to forgive, you know, that's on her. But to say he would after a police officer kneeled on his neck for seven to nine minutes, that's the body ain't in the ground yet. We already talking about forgiveness. There hasn't been any kind of justice. There hasn't been an arrest. There hasn't been charges. There hasn't been an apology. And we're already talking about forgiveness. Really? For a murder? That's much. Very, very much. Very, very much. I don't really know what what else to to say here. I, I feel like just two weeks ago, I was talking about Ahmaud Arbery. And I was talking about Breonna Taylor. And I was trying to find words for them. And I was saying that in these circumstances, people turn to writers or influencers or authors or people with platforms, whatever category you want to put me in. And they expect us to have profound shit to say. And I don't have anything profound for this. All I got is like, yo, this is fucked up and it keeps happening. And I don't know how to stop it. No one does or else it would be stopped. I do know that this is not black people's problem to solve. Black people bear the brunt of white people's crazy shit, but white people got to fix white people. We have cried and we have protested and we have boycotted. We have like fuck shit up. We have prayed. We have marched. We have picketed. We have paid. We've been quiet. We've been loud. We've written letters. We've called offices. Like, I don't know What else black people can do to make white folks stop killing us over dumb shit? You say you're scared and then you do crazy shit. But really, it's just you don't value my life. And so you act like it. This is something y'all gonna have to work out with yourselves. Get get some therapy, get some hypnosis, something. But y'all gonna have to work out like y'all shit because this this is not okay. And black folks are really at the burn the shit to the ground type phase. Minnesota is having an uprising. Minnesota. Now, L.A., they having an uprising, too, in solidarity. But L.A., they bought that life. Minnesota? That's how bad the shit is. Black folks cannot cure white folks' racism. It's a disease of which the symptoms affect black people, but it is not black people's disease to cure White folks got to get they white folks. White folks, white allies, get your white folks. This is some shit y'all got to fix. This is your issue to deal with. Go fix that shit. Can we talk about Russell Wilson now? Russell Wilson, Sierra's husband, who I adore. As I mentioned earlier, he caused a kerfluffle this week. He wished his son... Technically, his stepson, but son nonetheless, he wished his son a happy sixth birthday. It's a beautiful message. He said, my inspiration, my best friend, full of love, joy and grace. I thank Jesus for you and being able to lead and guide you. Your future is forever endless. And I pray you swim into every opportunity and obstacle in life with this much love and enthusiasm. Happy sixth birthday, future. Daddy loves you. And he posted a video 
of them swimming together. It was goo gobs cute. Like, I love me some Russell Wilson. I really do. But he is so problematic for some people. I feel like every time Russell does something loving towards his child, folks flip the fuck out. And I don't understand. I've seen the most vile things said about this man. He's constantly called coiny or soft or moist. (laughs) I hate the word moist. It's just, it's a weird word. And it's so weird because to me and a lot of women, Russell Wilson is like the epitome of the kind of man most women want. It's like Russell Wilson and Barack Obama. Folks are constantly asking, what is the Sierra prayer? Because they want a Russell Wilson. Yet men hate that dude. Last year, actually 2018, now that I'm looking at the date, I wrote this piece about Russell Wilson and it went viral. I talked about how the way women admire Russell Wilson and the way that men disparage him says so much about the disconnect between men and women. Many men perceive Wilson as corny when so many women see him as an ideal man. And here's why. He met and married his wife without stringing her along for years or any public embarrassment. He treats her son from a previous relationship like his blood child. He is a doting father and an affectionate husband. He believes in God, family, and fun, and their happiness together is palpable. His wife looks at him in admiration and his children beam in his presence. This is corny? Only folks accustomed to dysfunction, drama, and chaos would call it so. Also this week, D-Wade, Dwayne Wade and his daughter, Zaya, they've dyed their hair, both of them. They went hot pink first, which looks amazing on Zaya. It looked good on Wade too, because they got the same face and they're the same complexion. But then D-Wade decided he wanted to go like fire engine red, which I'm like, bro, that's, that's not a good color for you. Maybe a more maroon, a purple, or back to the pink. But, you know, his head, his color, his choice. Okay. He posts this picture of he and his daughter on his Instagram page. And folks went off, which I saw coming. It was mostly men, but some women too. This happens every time Dwayne Wade and wife Gabby do anything that looks like acceptance and love of their oldest daughter. If you are not fully aware of this situation, Zaya Wade, until she was maybe 11 or so, she presented as a boy. And she decided that boy and he do not work for her, that she wanted to be referred to as she and her. As a gender, she wanted to identify as a, as a girl. So Gabby and D. Wade were like, okay. Last year, they took her to the Pride Parade and and on their Instagram, they refer to her as Zaya. They refer to her as their daughter. I'm like, what's what's the alternative? Like your kid comes to you and says, this is what's bothering me and this is how I feel. And you tell your kid what, like, fuck your feelings. People do it all the time. But it sounds crazy. D Wade and Gabby were like, well, all right, if that's how you feel, you know, then uh, we'll, we'll go we'll go read up on it. We'll figure out some things, but you're our child and we love you and we will support you. I I genuinely don't see the problem, but I wanted to get to the bottom of this scenario too. What is the actual problem here? What is the real issue folks have that makes them so angry and viscerally vocal about how Dwayne Wade chooses to raise his kid? 
So I called up a friend, a former classmate and graduate of my alma mater, University of Maryland College Park. He is Dr. Jason Nichols. He's an award-winning full-time lecturer in the African-American Studies Department, where he teaches Black masculinities. Note the plural. There is more than one way to be masculine. He is also a progressive political and social analyst who makes regular appearances on Fox News, Al Jazeera English, and MSNBC. So all the questions I have about like, why do men hate Russell Wilson? And why are they going at D-Wade so hard? I called him and was like, hey, what you think? Please welcome Dr. Nichols to Ratchet and Respectable. Demetria. Hey, what's up? Thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Anytime, anytime. You know, I, I love our conversations. Like you're my go-to male expert because some things like I have, I have opinions, but I don't have the range. I don't have the insight. And I was like, you know what? Where's a man? Because I have questions. I'm very confused about so many things. And one of them is, is the hate for Russell Wilson. I don't understand why people don't like this man. So... I have a cousin and we have another family member that's always doing wild stuff. And I would always come to him and lament the wild stuff that the person was doing. They would always say to me, don't try to make sense of it, you know, <laughs> because it doesn't make sense. And that's that's something that I think we have to largely say when we talk about patriarchy, when we talk about racism, when we talk about a lot of these things is it doesn't make sense. I think with, with Russell Wilson, it, it's kind of a deep thing that I think patriarchy does to men, it makes us look at women and children as possessions. When you look at your, either your uh, significant other, ex-significant other, and your child as a possession, the idea that they may move on or that they may show affection to other people feels like this, this thing that attacks your manhood. God forbid my wife were to leave me and she were to get with some other dude. If the other dude didn't say happy birthday to my child and treat my child like his own, that's when the problem would arise. I would want this man to step in and and love my child, particularly if he's going to be more of a custodial parent than I am. But when you have this mentality that children are your possessions, that women are your possessions. It becomes an attack on your manhood. And part of that is because society does a terrible job of teaching men what it means to be a man or what manhood is. We all do this thing where we try to teach boys what it is to be men. And it's usually viewing the world in a way that's, that can be destructive. And when that boy grows up, it's going to hurt the women in his life. It's going to hurt the children that he has. And that's the danger of, of patriarchy. What exactly do the people who hate Russell Wilson to do? Is it that they didn't want him to like marry Sierra at all because she once dated Future and they have a child together? Like, what is his great like crime against humanity? I'm going to take my academic hat off right here. I think part of it is that some of it is just pure hate because Russell Wilson seems to be setting a standard that many men can't live up to. It's the same thing when you would hear sisters, and this is the same time as you would hear a lot of sisters talking about a lot of black men are trash, but Russell Wilson, it's like if, if your teacher is berating the entire class but says, but Johnny is such a good student, 
Mm. I think some men get frustrated by that, and it's the reaction is to go at Johnny as if he's done something when really he's just being himself and 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 doing what he's doing. When I would hear even my wife and other people talk about like Barack Obama, like I can't live up to that standard. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Like you know, there was this whole thing. I'm Michelle. Can you be my my Barack? And my whole point is, no, I can't be your Barack. I can be your papoose. You know what I'm saying? Like, that makes more sense. Like, I can hold you down. The idea that I can live up to this standard where, you know, you have Russell Wilson. He certainly seems very articulate. He's handsome. He's He excels at his profession. You know, he's a professional athlete. And you have people holding him up as this example of what black manhood should be. And then lots of black men are looking at that and being like, I can't be that. It would be like holding up Serena Williams for, for black women and saying, not this is, you know, an inspirational person, but this is who you should be. What men focus on with him and what women focus on with him are two entirely different things. Because when I hear you say, like, I can't be a Russell Wilson or I can't be a Barack, I'm thinking to myself, why not? Because when women say that, they don't mean like, I want you to make me first lady of the United States or I want you to like pay a a whole bunch of millions to like buy back my masters. What we're saying is I want you to love me seemingly unconditional. I want you to be publicly affectionate with me. I want you to respect our relationship. I want you to honor me as your Uh, wife. That's the appeal. D, let's keep it real. I think that the success of those men you know, professionally plays into the whole idea of this is what I want you to be. It does. But I'll also tell you from interviewing black women for like the last 15 years, I will tell you that black women's expectations, even in their fantasies of black men, are so different than I think what black men think. In romance novels, women fantasize about a man who treats them as an equal doesn't denigrate their job, doesn't want them to be like subservient or submissive, have great sex, be loyal and have conversation. He doesn't have to be like a CEO or a billionaire, like all the white women's novels. He could could be a, a good mechanic, solid regular check and benefits. And the black woman is happy. Money is wonderful. Don't get me wrong. But they want the core traits of a Russell and a Barack as well. Okay, so I, I can see where you're coming from. It, it just, I think for men, at least, it translates to, when you look at Russell Wilson, he is the quarterback. He's the leader of that team. He's somebody who is obviously, you know, I would argue top five players in the entire NFL every year. Barack Obama, who's one in a million, probably the, the greatest orator of our generation, I think a lot of brothers are like, you I'm a regular dude. And what you often hear, you know, at least in popular media, I'm not even saying that this is what black women are saying to one another, but this is the message you get from popular media is there are all these beautiful, successful black women and and black men can't keep up. Why can't y'all keep up? And this is, again, the, the danger of patriarchy and why I always say patriarchy hurts men is because We set this standard for what we think that a real man is, and then men never reach it. And now black men have an even more difficult time reaching it when you look at all the obstacles that are in the way of black men 
black men's success. And that now, again, that's not taking away from the obstacles that black women face at all. I'm just saying that, you know, with the idea of what manhood is, you are supposed to be the leader in all aspects. And so if your woman makes more money than you, then she's the leader. She wears the pants. And then you're not very manly. And I think a lot of men feel small because society has set it up that if you are not the breadwinner, you're not a man. You're not a real man. Some men, the way they find their way around that is by not getting into relationships and avoiding commitment. That's their way of kind of, you know, lowering the expectations on themselves. If you don't commit to a woman, then you don't have to be this breadwinner and you don't have to be, you know, super successful and you don't have to live up to be, you know, the, you know, live up to Barack Obama's example or to Russell Wilson's example, which are, you know, really difficult to live up to. And, and you're probably right that that's not what women want, but that's the way society makes it seem. And that's how men internalize it. Okay. So I understand what you're saying about why men, some men would not like a Russell Wilson. What is the draw of future? You go to people's like descriptions on Instagram, people like hashtag future hive. Like what? So I follow this. um, Don't. Well, it's going to be on your podcast now, but I follow this one really ratchet thing on Instagram called Hoodville. You know, they have all these future quotes. I think, you know, the, the attraction of future number one is occasionally he makes good music. You know, that that draws people in. He's obviously been with really beautiful women. He dated Sierra. He dated Scottie Pippen's wife. He dated all these beautiful women. So a lot of dudes are like, even if he acts out, it seems like he's being rewarded. You know what I mean? For for acting out. What's you know, what's the benefit to being a good guy if, you know, future goes around and lives his life how he wants to live it, doesn't really commit to anything. And he makes decent money, I assume. He's also got like seven or eight kids. He sleeps with all these beautiful women all the time. Yes, seemingly without condoms because he has seven to eight children. Six kids' moms? I I don't get that. You know what I mean? To be honest, I'm with you. To me, that seems like a whole lot of stress. And somebody that you may not want to be in your life anymore is going to remain in your life. (laughs) I, I thank God every day that I don't have a bunch of children by a bunch of different women. Real quick, I want to go back to a point that we were talking about earlier. You know, I usually don't, I don't like to put my personal stuff out there, but like my wife and I, before we were married, we were long distance and we already had children. You know, we already had a child. Well, yeah, children actually. At one point we separated for for a little bit. I remember, you know, my father having a conversation with me. One of the things that he was saying to me was, are you prepared to show up at her door one day and another man answers the door? And he says, no, you you can't be here right now. Or no, you can't see your children right now. Are, are you prepared for that? And honestly, my first reaction was, all right, well, me and that dude are going to have it out. But the truth is, you know, that would be their house. That would be their rules. Or that would be their situation. And I think a lot of men, when they think about that, when they think about, man, a, another man making decisions for for my children and for my family or, or what could have been my family, 
when I when I thought about that, I'm not going to lie, I was scared to death. And again, I, I think it does go back to the whole idea of women and children as possessions. One of the things I always do is is admit that I'm not, you know, I'm not above all of this. You know, I may study it. I may try to, to work on myself, but I'm not, you know, I'm not super Negro. Like, you know, this, this I was raised in society like anybody else. And I had to I thought about those things, too. So I, I think I get why some men have a visceral reaction to another man coming in and making decisions for a family and getting that kind of praise. So is Russell like a stand in for whatever they're going through with their children's mothers and maybe her new partner? You know, I think so. And it, it was funny. I, you know, the Hoodville stuff, they put up memes of, of just like ridiculousness. And, and one of them, I think, was related to that, where it was like, I know I don't love her. We're not together, but she should just be unhappy and alone you know, for the rest of her life. People don't want the woman to move on and have a, a new family. And I think it causes a visceral reaction in a lot of men who don't have a lot of self-esteem. The men who hate Russell also tend to hate Sierra for moving on. And I think that's part of what makes her almost this uh, woman's icon. People are always like, especially women are like, what is the Sierra prayer? We also assume that Sierra, the Sierra that met and married Russell was the same Sierra who dated Future. Future. That's two different people. No. I think like she was probably at a different stage in her maturity. And had she met Russell at that time, and assuming Russell was was the same Russell, I bet you there was a point where Russell was had a little bit of future in him. People mature, you know what I mean? I spent a whole lot more time as future than I did as Russell. <laughs> I'm, I'm still not Russell, but I, I spent a whole lot of time closer to the future end of the spectrum. And I think, like, Sierra, I don't think it's any special prayer. I think that Sierra is, you know, somebody who matured, figured out exactly what she didn't want and then figured out what it was that she wanted. Russell is an exceptional person. There may be another good guy who has some flaws. He's not going to be perfect or, or, you know, what it seems like Russell is or it seems like Barack Obama is. In some cases, there needs to be some room for people to grow as well within a relationship. Do you have time to talk about Dwayne Wade? Absolutely. (laughs) I love the enthusiasm. So Zaya is 12. Zaya wanted pink hair. It seems in solidarity, Wade went and got pink hair and then flaming red hair. I like the pink better, but that's neither here nor there. But <laughs> to support his child, this is just exemplary of any time Dwayne Wade shows support for his daughter. People go crazy. A lot of it is just simple transphobia. I think Dwayne Wade is freaking father of the year. He seems like he's an incredible father. He has a beautiful family. His, you know, his daughter loves him because he supports her so much. His son loves him. He supports his basketball dreams. I'm not sure what it is that people want. Do they want him to reject or disown his child? Do they want him to ignore her? Or should he be supportive of his child? And now I was hearing people actually saying they think Dwayne Wade is gay because he dyed his hair. I didn't hear that about Chris Brown. I didn't hear that about Kanye West. Lots of black men have dyed their hair. But because he has a trans daughter, like all of a sudden he's, you know, he's gay. 
you know, if my daughter wants to paint her nails and she's like, here, let me practice painting your nails. What? I'm going to say, no, that's gay. <laughs> like, that's absurd. I, I genuinely think there are men who would be like, no, that's gay. There's a real, like, very narrow expression that men, especially black men, are allowed when it comes to, like, what's masculine. And in everything that falls outside of that, it's quote unquote gay. And you know what? That affects the bonds that we can make with our children. And that's really, really a sad thing that we think, oh, I can't have this experience with my daughter because that's gay. Look, I'm going to have whatever experience I can have with my daughter. I'm going to have the conversations that people think are in whatever conversation she's comfortable of having with me, whether it's sex, whether it's, you know, she got a period. I want to I want to be involved in all of that if she's willing to share it with me. To me, it doesn't even make sense. And we're going to miss out on great experiences in raising our kids, you know, whether they're straight kids or gay kids or trans kids. Or all that, they're still our children. And, and I would think in our society, a trans black kid with all the deaths of black trans people, they need the support of their fathers more than anyone. You know, all black kids need the support of their fathers and their and their parents. But a trans black kid, those are the kids that need our support. With all the poor trans kids who end up going get becoming homeless, we need to be there and supportive and doing what Dwayne Wade is doing. I think Dwayne Wade is a trailblazer for Black people in that regard. How much do you think that people don't respond to Dwayne Wade being so accepting of his child? Because a lot of us just didn't get it. I didn't get that. Like, it came much later in life. And I feel like a lot of people have that experience where their parents didn't accept them. So to see someone else do it, it's like wild to them. They, They don't understand what this looks like. I remember when I was a kid and me and my cousins used to get beatings, right? And we would be like, I would never do this to my kids. <laughs> you know what I mean? And a lot of them end up, I don't spank my kids, but a lot of them, you know, I see them, I'm like, yo, you, you spanking your kids? Don't you remember when we were 12 or younger than 12? Really? We were eight and, and aunt so-and-so spanked us and you said you would never do this? I think a lot of times the way we parent is, is something that, you know, becomes generational. We end up just kind of emulating what our parents did when at the time we were probably right in recognizing that it was the wrong way to go about it. I was blessed. I'll say my dad, you know, you and I, you probably had this experience just like I did is you're going to major in African-American studies. My mother was like, look, you're going to be black either way. I don't know why you were a major in it. But my dad was like, look, whatever path you go, I'm going to support. That was one of the great blessings of my life. That's one of the reasons that, you know, I'm here talking to you right now. I think you you just have to support our kids in whatever path they take. You know, my dad, at one point when I was rapping, my dad was like, you know, if you want to just rap, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'll, I'll do whatever I can to, you know, support that. Wait, so you, were, like, you were a rapper? You didn't know that? No. See, that's the thing, D. I was your secret admirer. <laughs> you didn't know I was alive. I was um, oblivious to everything. It's one of my shortcomings in life. I'd be in my own world at all times. But yeah, like, you know, um, I think we just have to support our children, be there for them. That's the way we make them confident and confident enough when they move forward in their lives. Well, Dimitri, I got to roll, but... Okay. Um, 
Thank you so much for having me again. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. And yeah, we'll definitely, I hope to be a third time guest at some point. I'm sure you will, because I don't understand men and you can explain them to me. Last week, there was a story in the Washington Post about how women are being edged out of the workforce. The leading story was a woman, a married mom, who ran a tech company that hired women and people of color. Her husband had been unemployed for a while while he figured himself out. I think that's how the story referred to it. This scenario was working for them as a couple while they raised their three-year-old son. Really cute kid. But then a global pandemic happens and the daycare closes for the kid. So someone has to take care of this child all day. The wife is like, well, I have this whole business and my husband will take over because he knows that I have to work. The husband lasted all of three days taking care of his kid. Three days. He came to her and was like, yeah, mm -mm, I can't do this. I can't do 12 hours a day with this kid. And she was like, huh? As a solution. The wife ends up dissolving her company, laying off all of the women and people of color that work there so that she can parent her child since her husband says he can't. There were other there were also other women in the story who had to give up their jobs in order to parent all married, all white as well. Also this week, Aisha Curry is back in the news. She is a woman who many people love to hate. I actually like her a lot. She pops up on Instagram, 35 pounds smaller, sporting a modest bikini with the caption, something like took long enough, something like that. She looked great, I thought. She also got in her IG stories and she said that more or less she spent her 20s either pregnant or breastfeeding. And now at 31, she's ready to focus on herself a little more. People didn't like her emphasis on self-focus as much as they didn't like a mom and a wife in a bikini. Now, some of that stems from when several years ago, Aisha Curry was criticized after she tweeted about how a lot of people like to show their bodies and she didn't. She said something like she keeps covered up and she only shows the one who matters. Many people said she was slut shaming. But she didn't say what anyone else should do. She said what she didn't want to do. But now these years later, she's popped up on Instagram in a bikini and some people are calling her hypocritical. I called up my favorite mommy expert, my good friend, Deneen Milner. She is an award-winning journalist and New York Times bestselling author. She has written more than 25 books, including Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Man with Steve Harvey. She's also the founder and editor of MyBrownBaby.com, a website dedicated to black parenting. And she runs a children's book imprint, Deneen Milner Books, via Simon & Schuster. Please welcome Deneen Milner, one of my favorite humans, to Ratchet and Respectable. I'm glad you hit me up because I literally was thinking about you the day before because I can pontificate, but I'm not a mom. Right. And then I was like, wait, who is the mom expert? You are. I saw that story on your... your, IG page. And I was just like, Lord, let me go read this. What is this woman talking about? She was making some hard decisions. And I understood, you know, instinctively as a mother and as a, you know, divorcee, she wasn't doing anything outside of what society expects women to do when they're married. And it does not matter what kind of man it is. 
It does not matter what kinds of flaws he has. It does not matter if he doesn't live up to whatever the societal stereotype is of what a man should be. Everything is her fault and everything falls on her shoulders. Yeah, there was a lot of, um, I guess, visceral reaction to that article. And a lot of people were like, I would never. But just from, you know, all the conversations I have with my mobby friends, I'm like, but a lot of people do. A whole lot of people do. I venture to say that the people who say I would never, those would be the ones who've never, you know, been in that situation. Or been in a situation. The people with... who currently are in the situation and just don't want people to know that they have the type of husband who considers parenting as babysitting. Absolutely. And who make a whole lot of hard decisions every hour on the hour to manage that. Because I know so many women, um, not all of my married friends, but some, the regular conversation, you know, when they have kids, it's like, he ain't doing enough. Or they're complaining about how they do it all and he does one thing and he's praying and one, for it. What really sort of resonated with me in reading that story was just how, how far we have not come. The pandemic and what's going on right now in terms of juggling motherhood under these extreme circumstances with a marriage and work, all of that stuff, it's just come come to, to, to the fore, right? It's, it's a stark reminder that as progressive as you think our society has become, you know, we are still stuck in the muck and mire of, you know, the Ozzy and Ozzy and Harriet kind of idea of how a how a home should be run. Some of those women in that story were like, I really love my job, but I don't make as much money as my husband does. And so, you know, I had to be the one to stay home. Well, why? Why wasn't there even remotely a discussion? She said they didn't discuss it. It was just a given. She didn't make anywhere near as much money as her husband. And so she had to quit her job so that she could be home and be subservient to the idea of what it means to run a freaking household with kids. It didn't matter that she went to school and studied really hard and graduated and, you know, got advanced degrees and then got a job doing what she loved. At the end of the day, when the hard decisions had to be made, there was no discussion. The decision was already made for her. You will quit and he will continue to do what the hell he does because that's what men get to do in this society. And that has not changed. So we can sit on Instagram and talk about, you know, how progressive we are and how we would never. But guess what? When you're in that situation, when you are faced with hmm, how are we going to pay these bills and he makes more money and I don't or hmm, this baby really needs to be watched during the course of the day and this Negro is not going to do it. Am I, as a mother, going to let my kids sort of suffer and not do school, not eat lunch, not go to bed, not have a schedule, not have all the things that I, as a mother or a parent, is tasked with giving to their child? Am I, as a mother, going to let that fall to prove a point that he should be involved? Or are you, as a mother, going to make sure that your kid has what your kid needs? And if the other person in the house is not providing that for them, your job as a mother, you feel and society deems, is to go ahead and fill in that gap. I felt so sorry for um, 
for all of the women in the article, but especially because the woman that you just talked about, this woman had a master's degree. She had a job that she was commuting 90 minutes each way because she loved the job so much. And when they asked her husband about her job, he was like, yeah, eventually she'll find something that works for her. That story was more egregious to me than the one of the lady dissolving her company. Now that was foul, you know, like her, her husband not being unemployed, sitting up in the house, drinking up all the Kool-Aid, you know, eating up, up all the electricity, watching Netflix while she does everything was disgusting. But what was frightening was the idea that, that you as a woman could do exactly what you want to do and have it all wiped away without so much as a discussion. That was frightening to me. And then she had like this thing that she was clearly so passionate about and that her husband was like, oh, she's still searching. And I'm like, no, I think she found it. The disconnect in his understanding of his wife who just made this gigantic sacrifice and he doesn't Absolutely. even like see her. Absolutely. It's like she's a child in the household and, you know, gets to do what she wants to when all of this is over. Then you can go back and play with your friends. Like that's the way that it sounds. He made it sound. I couldn't tell from the Washington Post piece whether any of the women that they interviewed were black. That didn't seem like it. Yeah. And so the reason I wanted to speak with you specifically was because one of the things that you talk about very often is the erasure of black motherhood. Mm-hmm. Like people mm-hmm. have these pathological ideas of what black motherhood means. And it's basically just being mean to your child and cursing them and beating the shit out of them. Yep. But I just thought it was weird that like the Washington Post, especially that like no black women seem to be featured in the article about motherhood during the pandemic. And we, of all people, are making the most sacrifices and the absolute, you know, like crazy decisions on how to balance raising our children and in the middle of a pandemic where we have to, you know, be everything at all times and be everything at all times to society. Now, there are black women who are in the positions that the white women in the Washington Post story are in, right? Like, like they, they exist. We are out here. But there is a whole nother set of women, black women, tend to be the essential worker who tend to have kids who aren't necessarily in a place where, where there is somebody else who can stand in the gap while they're out there being essential to everybody else's needs. Think about, you know, the, the mom who does not have anyone at the house to, 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 to help raise the baby. Like there's no, there's no father there, no husband there's the mother who has maybe, you know, one or two or three kids. Maybe she's a nurse or maybe she's, you know, works in, uh, you know, a service industry. Maybe she's a teacher. How, is, how are her kids learning? How are her kids falling through the gap? Who's helping them? Like when people are standing outside and applauding essential workers, are they applauding the lady who rang them up at the grocery store and left her three kids at the house with nobody to watch them because she sure can't afford a babysitter. Why are we not hearing about these women? Why do we not care about their plights? Why are we not standing up and applauding them out in the street every day at three o'clock so when shift changes so that we can tell them that they're appreciated? That's the story that I want to read. As dramatic as that Washington Post story was, everyone in this story was able to pay their rent. The real story is the people who 
I can't pay my rent and I got kids and it's just me. Like now what? No one is, uh, you know, helping me with these groceries. I can't catch a break. I don't know how, I don't know this new math. Y'all better divide and, you know, carry one because I don't know what the hell this is. I cannot imagine sitting with inadequate, you know, internet access and a broke down computer trying to figure out what the hell this teacher is trying to say to my kid and keep up with fifth grade math. That is not my ministry. And I feel for, you know, these women who are out here trying to juggle that and a hard day's living, a hard day of work and a hard day of living. That lady who went to, um, who, who, who went to grad school and got her, her master's and was working in a job that she loved. It sucked that she, you know, she went on ahead and quit her job because, you know, nobody expected her husband to to actually make any kind of sacrifice to allow her to be able to do what she wants to do. But at the end of the day, when she quit her job, her mortgage was still paid. Mm -hmm. Her man still made good money and still was able to pay her bills and still, you know, able to provide a a standard of living for, for her family. There are a lot of black women who do not have that story. Ones who are single and ones who are married. Let's talk to the mother and the father, the father who is a teacher and the mom who is a nurse or works at the grocery store. And there's some really hard decisions being made because everybody just got laid off. Or even if one of those situations, like one person gets laid off because a lot of these households are running with two incomes. Which is the absolute story of black families, right? Like it used to always tick me off when we would talk about women going to work and how everybody's out working now and this is new. No, nigga, it's not new. My mama had a full-time damn job with overtime. Betty was up and out the door at 5 a.m. and she didn't walk back in the house until 4, 4.30. On Thursdays when she got her check, she went down to the Pathmark and did the grocery shopping and came back and was like, y'all gonna have to cook this food because I just worked a long, hard day. And my dad would work the overnight shift. So he would leave at three and for like between three and four thirty, my, my brother and I would come home from school and we were latchkey kids with a two parent household and um, with two, with two income. That's not new for us. That's who we've always been. And so the idea that we could sit here and act as if, a two-parent household with two incomes is all right. They're going to fare okay in this. Is like crazy to me. Can I ask you another mom question? We didn't talk about this one, but it came up earlier today about Aisha Curry. Oh, Lord. What happened with Aisha Curry? So I love Aisha Curry in general. I, I wouldn't say she can't do no wrong, but I think people are just really hard on her. Since January, she has lost approximately 35 pounds. And she posted a picture of herself in a bikini, pretty modest bikini, all things considered. The internet, because it always melts down about Aisha Curry, is, is flipping out again. In her story, she explained that she spent most of her 20s as a mom. She has three kids. She's only 31. And she says that now she's, you know, she's done with, with, with uh, having children. She's done with nursing. And so now she wants to focus on who she is and who she's becoming. People find this so problematic, and I'm not sure 
Why? Because we are supposed to be the the mammy, nursemaid, all eyes on the kids. Absolutely not. You will not be your own uh, person with your own autonomy. You will focus on that man and you will focus on those babies. And how dare you focus on yourself? How dare you? I'm not surprised. She looks fantastic. I'm sitting here looking at her picture and, you know, like she a little thin. I don't, I don't know if I would have went all the way there, but you know, if that's what, if she likes it, I love it. Ma'am has cardioed and lifted her way to this shape. She is hard body and I'm not mad at her, but I am mad at people who really go out of their way to, again, judge mothers as if the only thing that we've been put on this planet to do is to walk around looking haggard and weary and running after somebody's snot-nosed babies. <laughs> now, I've got my own snot-nosed babies, and I love them to death. I really, really do. But let me tell you something. At, at my, my, my youngest one just graduated last week. And can I just tell you the plotting and planning I've been doing for for what I'll be doing when she's goes away to college <laughs> and I have my house to myself for the first time in. So I, I got married when I was 27. I am now almost 52. So and I had my first baby when I was 29, almost 30. So for 21 years, add on to that the two years that I was married um, before that, I, I have gone without focusing on Deneen for that entire time. I think women in general, there's many reasons why, but have a very big issue putting themselves first. But I thought making right. a, a declaration as like a 31-year-old and as a mother of three, and as a wife, to be like, no, I'm going to take some time to focus on me. I was like, good for you. I mean, I'm shocked that she's she's at this so early, because it takes a lot of us a long time to get there. And there are some mothers who don't get there until after their kids gra graduate high school and go off on their own, their own journey. And there's some mothers who just never do. She has some advantages, right? But you know, no matter how much money she and her husband have in their bank account, the fact of the matter is, is that at age 31, for her to make that decision to focus on herself is a huge, huge deal for mothers. And it's a great way to say to mothers that it's okay to focus on yourself. It's okay to eat healthy. It's okay to exercise. It's okay to look nice. It's okay to look the way that you want to look and work on that. It's okay to say, I'm finished breastfeeding, so now I'm going to put on this little skimpy bathing suit and let my husband take a picture of me looking like the way that I've wanted to look for the longest time but couldn't because I had a baby on my titty. Why are we giving this woman grief? Maybe like four or five years ago, People used to love Aisha Curry. Like people, the guys used to talk about, like, I want me an Aisha Curry. And then she posted something about, it was a tweet, like, I see a lot of people aren't wearing uh, a lot of clothes or they're, you know, they're showing a lot off and I keep it covered up for the one who matters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they said yeah, she was like, slut shaming that. other women. And then now fast forward four or five years 
and she's on the internet in a bikini. Do you think that's mm-hmm. critical? I think it's growth. I really do. I think that's a, fu- a function of youth and growth. When I think about who I was as a young mother versus who I ended up being once my kids were able to sort of, once I, I tie it to, I was able to get in the car finally without the diaper bag. I could go out with them without, you know, snacks and, and, and spare diapers. I was a different person, a different woman then. It's regretful that she said what she said when she said it. I don't find it to be hypocritical. I find it to be growth. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, the way that I styled my hair when my, my kids were little babies, the way that I dressed, how, how big my pants and my, and my shirts were, how I wore sensible shoes, how I styled my hair, how I didn't wear makeup. I wasn't looking at other women who, who dress nicely as, you know, some kind of pariah, but I did as a mother who had other priorities Occasionally, I would think that, you know, like, well, I don't have time to look like that. They have time to look like that. I don't. You know, I got kids. I'm dressing two other people before I get myself dressed in the morning. I'm feeding two other people before I, three other people before I get dressed in the morning. I'm not doing my hair at night because I got to tie up their hair at night. You know, you all have time to come to work, you know, dressed like you going to the club. I don't. I was able to grow and think differently about it when I had more autonomy, when I had more of an, an ability to um, not be so hands-on of a mother. Could somebody say it's hypocritical? Yeah, but I think that there's context to it. I think that you really, you know, you grow and you start thinking differently about your job as a mother, about your job as a wife, your sort of place as a woman and what that means to you as your kids get older and as you grow a little wiser. I think maybe because we've seen her so much and then she has three kids, people forget that she's so young. It didn't occur to me that she's only 30 or 31 years old. I mean, she looks young, right? But I just, you know, you kind of, I, I, I just did not capture that she's only 31 years old. She's young. Mm-hmm. Is she like super religious and all that stuff? Yep. Yes. Yeah. I mean, she gonna say some, some sideways stuff. Say sideways stuff when you young, you got babies, you married, you got money and you go to church. I'm very <laughs> grateful that like social media and camera phones and videos didn't exist until I was like well into my late 20s, maybe. Let me tell you, because I promise you, y'all would have been like, Deneen is the biggest hypocrite on the planet. She got the nerve. It just, it is what it is. She's growing and she's growing in the public eye. Should she have posted pictures of, of herself in her sexy bikini? Hell yes, because she's proud of what she did. She looks good in her very sensible, freaking athletic, you know, bathing suit. That's not, you know, sexy at all. No, it's hardly salacious at all, but especially not compared to what we usually see on Instagram. I see more salacious stuff on, you know, like an ad from like Roxy or, you know, Urban Outfitters, like cut it out. She she looks fantastic and good for her for saying that she took control of how she thinks about her place as a woman. And she's really thinking about this. I guarantee you in like three other years, we're going to get a whole nother Aisha. And then 
three years after that, she's going to be Jada Pinkett 2.3.0. As she wow. should. Because if you're 30-something, still thinking like you're 20-something, that's not growth. Exactly. That's Precisely. Growth. If you're not growing, you're dying. Precisely. Good on her. And I want to know what she did to get her body to look like that because I want some. Isn't she magic? I love Deneen. So... That is today's episode of Ratchet and Respectable. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode and you are not subscribed, please do on whatever platform that you are enjoying this podcast on. I'll be back next week with a new episode. But if you need Ratchet and Respectable in your life, in the meantime, you can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Demetria L. Lucas. I think that's everything. Okay. Talk soon. Bye. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.